After Party, live with Jim McAllister and John Daly. Hello, uh, happy rainy Wednesday to you, Kim. Happy rainy Wednesday to you, Is it raining up there in Chicken Town? I haven't been outside yet. I don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I thought it was really funny. Mark was saying that. One in the afternoon, and I'm still locked in. Mark was talking about your increased role over the last year, and I know how hard you work because you're not available for this show because you're on that other show that takes a lot of your time, uh, which is understandable because it's a lot of work. Um, But it's really funny because Mark was saying, oh, you know, I I have to put together a show every day and I have to do all this work. And I'm thinking, oh, we don't need that, do we? Yeah. Uh, and it. I was thinking, uh, I was thinking, oh, so you don't want to produce the show, Mark? Yeah, because it's a lot of work. <laughs> Nobody wants to produce the show. Well, and I think it's interesting because I think when you're the talent, you know, you have your hands in the um, the creative aspect, but the actual work of booking the guests and of the tedious crap that nobody up, wants to do. Right. I mean, that stuff that, you, maybe, that but, comes along with you, any job. Anything worthwhile has a tedious. Like, but if you, if you want a beautiful a garden, if you yeah. want a beautiful garden, you have to do you the garden. Plant flowers, right? right? Yeah, you have to do the. Behind but if, the scenes if you haven't done it in a while, and you, then you have to do everything yourself all at once, including the show and all the yeah. stuff, and then you know you realize, oh, this is a lot of work. This is a yeah. this is more than just sitting down and and going. Yeah, I just right? found that amusing because yeah. it was like, here, yeah. here, Kim, you take this. I'll take it all. (laughs) That explains Um, why you're not sleeping. But um... something interesting. My daughter went on a field trip today for her biology class at high school. Uh And they went to LGC BioSearch in Petaluma. That's it's like a biotech company. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And then we got an email after the fact with some of the factoids that they learned. And the teacher's email says during the tour, we learned 70% of the PCR COVID tests used by the CDC at the beginning of the pandemic were manufactured right here in Petaluma at this facility. Oh, Who I thought knew? you were going to say they did tests on your kids and then no, no, came back with the report. <laughs> no, no. I just thought that was interesting that 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 most of the, those PCR tests were made here in Petaluma at the start of the pandemic, that we that's played a bigger role. That's the P in PCR. Most no, people don't know that. P, that's true. There you go. Yeah, it's the Petaluma chicken uh, report. <laughs> Um, chicken ranch test. We want to thank the Lady Beatrice. Right at the last moment um, of yesterday's show, the Lady Beatrice uh, gave us $5 in the Super Chat. The so Lady Beatrice you. awards it so formal us $5. When, yes. when YouTube says, the Lady Beatrice has bequeathed $5. To the show. <laughs> That's so nice. Thank, <laughs> thank you, the you, Lady, Lady Beatrice. Beatrice. If, you're, if you're here today, we appreciate that so I much. I curtsy in your general direction. The super chat, the super stickers are open and we're grateful for anything. Uh, PayPal is information is listed in the show description today as well. Yeah. So uh, it's um, it's dark and rainy here in the city. Um, I don't know about the rest of the Bay. I wasn't paying attention to the news. Gloomy, do you do that with like the day. weather? I, sometimes I just tune out and I stop watching the news for a few days. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, rain. Oh, okay. No, I'm always watching the news. Oh, well, I'm always looking. Even if I'm not watching it, I'm I'm like, I always go to my different sites. And you have news that we can use. Yeah, I'm always looking stuff. for topics to talk about, so I'm not yeah. looking at, like, weather. I'm not looking at weather where you live. The big stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about this llama. Llama, llama for your But mama, before mama. we do... Oh, Wes! Wes, Wes, Wes. More reliable than the Muni schedule. It's Wes T. <laughs> I Choo-choo. bet it's sunny in Florida for Wes. It's not raining oh, over there. That nice. Thanks, that Wes. Nice. And Harry. Harry. Time to Time get to this get... party started. Where's my red jack? <laughs> where is the red jack 
Thank you, Harry. That's really nice. Harry and Wes and the Lady yeah. Beatrice. You guys rock. I want to give you a little uh, view of the Red Jack. There's the Red Jack. There is the Red Jack. Red Jack, <laughs> our favorite bar in San Francisco. Yeah, check Glory it out. Above the ask bar. ask for go. the Kimikaze. As a bartender, a former bartender, I'd say that's the best drink on the, um, on the talent menu. Francine has stepped forward with a contribution to the After Party Live as well. Thank wow. you, Francine. Thank you, Thank you. Yeah, for a $10. That's so nice. Maybe we oh. don't start the show. We just keep going. Wes, <laughs> Wes, cold 50s, low 60s, but sunny. Um, okay, so you got a little little chill in the air, but that's uh, good. Sunny. That's um, yeah. gator weather, croc weather. Are we talking about, we'll, we'll talk the weather at the beginning yeah. of the party. Sandy says no rain in San Jose, but it doesn't rain much there, she says. No, mm. interesting. All right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's like that cold, cold rain. Or if it was windy, it would be miserable. Yeah, it's a cold outside. Um, but do you know who wasn't miserable, at least for a time, was a... Now, you know, we like our bear stories. We like our deer stories. But if we're going to talk about an animal that's on the loose, it's got to be a llama. llama that's llama. right. Police wrangle a loose llama. That's the best kind of llama. Mm -hmm. Near British uh, Columbia. Uh, police in British Columbia rounded up a loose llama found wandering near a busy intersection. The Surrey RCMP, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police, mm -hmm. said police officers, uh, just for that visual of, you know, the, they, uh, the guy with the hat, right? They wear hats, right? I, they used to. I don't know. I may have had a lot of coffee today. Yeah. Uh, they said officers responded to multiple calls about a loose llama running near 64th Avenue and 176th Street. Uh, Constable... Parmbeer Kalon, interesting name, said the llama dubbed Larry by officers was caught about two hours later. According to City News, the animal wasn't too happy about the adventure coming to an end. Aww. Yeah, no fight. Officers were aware that Larry might be a bit of, of a spitter, but luckily nobody was injured <laughs> and Larry was safely rescued. Probably easier than... Um, We've got a spitter here. Probably uh, easier than the humans that they have to round up, right? That's funny. Uh, yeah, the it's Surrey better animal... a spitting llama than a spitting human. I'll take yeah, that. The any Surrey day. Animal Resource uh, Center. Anything on here uh, on you that might poke me? Mm -hmm. uh, they posted a photo of Larry to social media in the hopes of reuniting him with its owner. I love that there's all these people out there who, like, you know, get separated from their llama. There should probably be a llama database, <laughs> right, for all these llamas that get uh, released or escaped. <laughs> Let's talk about this deer. You know, we have these deer that leap into stores or candy yeah. shops or what have you. This deer did some damage to a statue at a, a cabin in California. Her name, the woman's name is Dolores Eastman Runty. She says the deer's statue's legs were broken when oh, she no. returned to her cabin in Camp Nelson. That's when she went to the footage from her ring cam. And um, this is really short, and it's silent, so we'll have to narrate it for uh, yeah. for our podcast viewers. And you have some deer, oh. two deer in the foreground, coming up to the deer statue. Oh, so I wonder if the deer caused the damage. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh my. Oh, they're getting a little yeah. amorous. He Does he think it's a real deer? He thinks it's a lady. He thinks it's a oh. lady. Oh, <laughs> If you're the uh, listening to the podcast, uh, <laughs> they got it on. The deer mounted the deer statue and tried Aww, to do something fun. Poor it's like guy. A, it's like a, a doll, right? I don't know. Uh, the footage showed an amorous male deer approaching the statue, which they have on the property to use for crossbow uh, practice. And he attempted to Wait, mate what? with it, as he saw there. They, they used have the it statue on the property the... for... 
Yeah, they use it for crossbow practice, the statue. To shoot at it? Yes. Oh, that's kind mm-hmm. of a downer. But apparently it's rather realistic because this deer attempted to mate with it. Yeah. Uh, the deer, maybe another deer, maybe the same animal, returned a week later for a second try. And that uh, resulted in the deer and the faux deer tumbling to the ground in that ring video. Oh, so. he's like second date? <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was a little cold, a little wooden, a little stiff. Oh, yeah. But she you didn't don't complain. feel like a... Was, that's crazy. I think she's into me. Dude, I think she's into me. No, no. No, 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 no. Beth Farmer. Let's get this party. What did she say? Started, started. Yes. Start, start, start. Party started. Thank you very much. Uh, Um, All your support helps us. Really, really much. So thank you. Uh, There's a story, though, about Americans that, you know, you think you're retired and you're going to have relaxing time now. Mm, Not so much. Some people. That must be nice unretiring it's it's something that i've thought about that you know i guess if you tried to retire and then you realized you couldn't swing it you'd have to figure out what to do right yeah a lot of people are in that difficult position where they can't handle like they retire they don't have enough money and they have to come back back because you know life's tough out there when you're retired so i googled a picture of unretired there we go (laughs) (laughs) a resume builder survey of currently Retired Americans found 12% expect to come out of retirement in 2024. The top reasons are inflation. That makes sense, right? A higher cost of living, combating boredom was also cited by some. Two-thirds of those expecting to re-enter the workforce next year said they fear age bias will affect their job prospects. That's a real concern. Uh, To at least get in the door, experts say don't let your resume make you look outdated. I talked to seniors and boomers looking to return, and they show me the same resume they've been using for the last 40 years, according Mm -hmm. to career coach. Uh, and chief advisor at Resume Builder. Haller said there's simple ways to eliminate ageism in the review uh, process. Uh, Fountain of youth, maybe? Don't you? I like this. Mm -hmm. Ready for it? Don't use an AOL email address. No. Um, I I don't think David Katz has to worry about his resume. He's he's self-employed. Don't put your street address on a resume. Really? Uh, Pictures do not belong on a resume. Yeah. Unless um, it's a resume for theater or stage, then they do. Right, right. I mean, obviously, there are, are going to be exceptions. Why not still. your street address? I guess I have to take Because it off. makes you look old. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why? Because no, cool, no one cares where I live? It's not cool, mom. Well, it's, it just dates you because it makes... It, okay. you know, our sensibilities change over time, what's important. And now we're, uh, sure. resumes are fully online. So, And people work from home and whatever, or other out of state. Um, it doesn't really matter where you live Well, now, if they're right? going to contact me, it probably won't be through snail mail. It'll be via email, right? Or yeah, text. and when they do need yeah. your address, it'll be for like maybe a check or something or your yeah. paperwork. Older workers are likely to be proud of their long work history, but keep the resume short, suggests Resume Builder. Work experience from 40 years ago is probably largely irrelevant today. Uh, talking about exactly what you did that long ago won't really help you get the job of today. We're we're looking at maybe the past 15 years of experience, mm-hmm. right? Age discrimination is illegal, but it's also hard to prove, and it's real. Hiring managers can use tools like internet searches and social media to determine a candidate's age. Reasons given for rejecting a candidate could be vague. Overall, 76% of the 62 to 85-year-olds surveyed said they, currently, they are currently retired. 17% said they currently work full-time. Wow, that's surprising to me. And 7% said they currently work part-time. Of those working now, 25% said that they had been retired at one point, uh, but are back to work. A majority of those surveyed who plan to unretire next year will look at the job, uh, look for a job in a new industry, while 20, 27% want to look at the same industry they're in. And 14% said they would go back to the previous place of employment. Um, 
seniors should be in demand. There's a lot to be said these days about professional skills and adaptability these folks bring to the table. There are many industries that are looking to hire these folks because boomers are retiring. Companies are hurting with a yeah. talent pool that's not large enough for them and often very clueless. Pauline wants to know, what about cover letters? Are those outdated too? I don't, th well, if you're, if you're applying online, right, they want your resume. But if it was, if it's for a specific job, I think at that point you would add a cover letter, right? I mean, I would, but maybe I'm old. I don't know. Right. But um, I think they're, they're talking about like... personal touch is Yeah, good, I know. think, you, I think, I don't think that hurts. But I would say keep it concise, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't want to write a diatribe or anything. Right. And try, try to leave out the old English. Eric says, how about just not showing up to the interview with gray hair? That'll work. That's also, that's key. Yeah, there you go, Eric. Um, but anyway, I, I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, um, it's tough out there. So my husband has a, um, his hair isn't gray, but he has gray in his beard a little bit. He has mm. a little beard. And he was going for an interview huh, several years ago. And we we talked about it and decided that he should put like you know he should dye the gray out of his beard the right. uh, I don't know if it's Grecian formula or whatever or it is just for men. It looked good when he did it, and he did get the job. But Was it the little brush thing? I I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I use that. It's yeah. not. I mean, we live in a superficial world, but it does mm -hmm. make a difference. It makes you look so much younger. Mm -hmm. So why not? I mean, yeah, get the job and then gradually gray out. Yeah. Oh, and Stars does need a cover letter. Lori says, depends on the industry. Some require it. Yeah. yeah. And, and then they're like, says, if you're applying for a government job, there's like a different way to do your resume. You know, it depends on academia. Then you do it a different way. Dye the gray with purple. That ought to work. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael said, just for quarterbacks. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> just if you're quarterback, there's a different kind of resume. Yeah. Oh, um, you have you heard of, you know, you've heard of gaslighting. Right. Have you heard of something called gaslighting doesn't exist, Kim? Oh, is that right? You've imagined have, it all this time. Have you heard of breadcrumbing? No. Is this uh, related to Thanksgiving? It's not, it's not. You would think so. Toxic breadcrumbing. And I hadn't heard of this. And I, so this article just I thought it was interesting, if only because now we have a new term to use. Right. It's a harmful behavior. This or a new term toxic to ignore breadcrumbing. That's right sporadic acts of attention that don't really result in anything the victim may consider meaningful. Uh, this according to a psychotherapist specializing in trauma and attachment wounding in the Bay Area, Daigu Balan. Wait, specializing in what? In uh, trauma and attachment wounding. Attachment wounding? Yeah. So, like, you know, if you're... You, I would say attachment, like they have attachment parenting. Usually you're attached to your mother or your father or whatever. And if that there's a wound there, then it can be troubling. Oh, but maybe okay. they mean attachment wounding in other capacities as well. Yeah, yeah. But breadcrumbing refers to a form of manipulation, whether it's intentional or not, involving one person feigning interest and acting as though they feel sincerely interested and invested in a relationship with another person when really they're not. This is a great Those, story, Kim. I'm really glad it is? that you... Oh, yeah. Sure. Are you feigning interest? Those who intentionally no. act in a misleading way may oh, do so for attention, validation, or control, or to get the fun parts of the relationship without having to commit, stringing yeah, a person along, keeping someone from looking the elsewhere. Fun, the fun bits of the relationship. I wonder what that refers to. 
the fun bits. We like the fun bits. <laughs> Got to take it all, not just the fun bits. Sounds um, like they're talking about men. Breadcrumbing can happen in familial relationships at the workplace. Mm -hmm. Most common in romantic contexts, though, especially with the rise of online dating, where yeah. it's much easier for people to offer brief spurts of connection and affection rather like a spurts? quick text call spurt. Spurts <laughs> of affection. That kind of spurt, not that kind of a spurt. <laughs> Um, breadcrumbing, they say, works to keep someone in the uh, person's corner based on the psychology principle of intermittent reinforcement, which drives the addictive cycle and success of gambling right. behavior. So it's like, like a, a little slot dopamine machine. Hit. Every so often they give you something, yeah, right? So you keep coming back so you for keep more. Coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got you on the hook. So in the workplace, it can look like a supervisor's high praise with vague promises of advancement that never materialize. Oh, that sounds uh, familiar. Yes, it does. We I never got those Giants tickets. Look at that. Three years later, no Giants tickets. I never got my Giants Aloha shirt. A friend may feign interest and connection without bitter. any intention of getting together, traveling, or engaging in real, genuine friendship. But yeah. in reality, they only call you when they need something from you. Yeah, or they text you when they need something not just a yeah. text to hang out or to say something funny i've noticed it's always like the a, people yeah. like i respond to everybody by text when they text mm -hmm. within a reasonable amount of time if not instantly and those usually are the people who no, don't respond unless they need something right mm -hmm. when they need something they have an agenda it's like oh yeah super responsive but when they yeah. don't yeah breadcrumbs in a romantic context, you may receive texts, poems, playlists, compliments, online content, mixed um, tapes mixtapes of flirtatious or heartfelt messages the person may even seem thoughtful right we learned about situationships that's right that's but right. these communications dwindle and then continue intermittently plans to go on dates fall through or seldom happen seasoned breadcrumbers may be vague about where they are and seasoned what they're doing crumbers seasoned breadcrumbers <laughs> yes and apparently they say this whole breadcrumbing thing can have a big emotional impact on people causes confusion and distress for the person being breadcrumbed so yeah breadcrumbing now we know the Lady Beatrice for another five dollars. Thank you, the we Lady proud Beatrice. proud to you, the Lady Beatrice. Thank you so much. That was good. We did that at the same time. Uh, it worked out. You're awesome. Thank you, the Lady Beatrice. The Lady Beatrice has come forth with a five dollar super sticker. My lady. Thank you. That's awesome. You know what else is awesome? Dolphins. I love dolphins. Love That's dolphins. my favorite sea creature. <gasps> Look Aww. at him. Love it. They're smart and protective. Have you seen? The, have you seen the videos where if there's a shark or something, they'll surround yeah. a, a person to protect right, them, right, and like shepherd them out of uh, totally. Well, maybe what they're using is a sixth sense. Shocking mm. study from the study people discovers bottlenose dolphins possess electric sixth sense. Uh, scientists at the Nuremberg Zoo in Germany have discovered a previously unknown sensory ability in bottlenose dolphins, electroreception. What? Hmm. The truly shocking finding <laughs> bridges the gap between dolphins and other known electroreceptive animals and adds a new understanding of how these charismatic creatures interact with the underwater, underwater world. Electroreception, the ability to perceive weak electric fields, is typically associated with aquatic or semi-aquatic species. This sensory skill, fascinating in its own right, has been a focus of extensive research in marine biology, predominantly observed in weakly electric fishes. 
and some amphibian species. However, the revelation that bottlenose dolphins possess this ability challenges our perception and expands our understanding of marine sensory biology. Imagine a dolphin navigating the ocean's depths, its path illuminated not by light, but by the faint electrical signals of hidden prey. Ooh. Interesting. This ability could revolutionize our understanding of their foraging strategies, especially in challenging environments um, such as SeaWorld. Moreover, the sixth sense might extend beyond foraging, potentially playing a role in navigation and communication within the vast and varied tapestry of the oceans. Um, mm. So the research began with a curious observation about bottlenose dolphin calves who are born with whisker-like structures along their snouts. These whiskers, which fall out shortly after birth, leave behind vibrissal pits. Intrigued by the resemblance of these pits to structures in sharks that detect electric fields, scientists embarked on a series of experiments to determine in, if adult dolphins retained a similar electrosensory capability. Uh, the study involved two female bottlenose dolphins named Dolly and Donna. Hey, girls. Hey, ladies. Uh, mm -hmm. Led by prominent marine biologists, uh, the research team designed an intricate experiment to test the dolphins' ability to detect electric fields. This setup included a carefully constructed apparatus in a controlled pool environment where the dolphins were exposed to both direct current and alternating current electric fields. Um, these are very low, so they weren't in any harm, I guess. The experimental design was a testament to scientific precision and patience. The dolphins trained to participate actively were exposed to varying strengths of electric fields. Researchers meticulously reduced the intensity of these fields to pinpoint the exact threshold of the dolphins' electroreceptive abilities. And uh, this rigorous approach ensured the accuracy and reliability of the results. So that's pretty cool. It is really cool. I've, you know, I've often wondered about dolphins. They're not prey for sharks or orcas. So you've, you'll see an orca or a shark go after a sea lion or a seal, mm -hmm. but never a dolphin. Hmm. Do you know why that is? Mm -mm. No. Too fast for know. you, bitches. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> 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 you do that way too well. I practice. Um, so from dolphins to birds, as we keep the animals rolling, there's a bunch of birds that are getting new names. You were, It's a process of the renaming things. Well, at the very beginning of the whole naming of creatures, mm -hmm. they name them after people a lot of times. Oh, please and tell so me there's no would, Hitler bird. Well, I haven't heard of a Hitler bird, but there's... Okay. You know, Audubon. Or Stalin, like a Stalin bird. Yeah. I guess Mr. Audubon had some uh, Mr. issues. Audubon, with Mr. Audubon. Mr. Audubon. Mr. Audubon had some issues. So they're not gonna they're not gonna do that anymore. But starting next year, at least 70 birds are getting new names. The American Ornithological Society says it will choose new names for North American birds named after people as well as birds deemed to be offensive, uh, names deemed to be offensive or exclusionary. They say there is power in a name, and some English bird names have associations with the past that continue to be harmful today. They need a much more inclusive, engaging scientific process that focuses attention on the unique features and beauty of the Processes, birds themselves. And so instead of naming it after a person, name it after, like if you were looking at this bird instead of naming it john's bird you would name it the black-breasted graybeak right so that the name would then Brown have stripe. would would tell you something about the bird right in some physical way that would have some meaning to people that like are maybe uh, mockingbird oh that's a great <laughs> name <laughs> 
They say they're overwhelmingly from a particular time and social fabric, these names, and they're almost all white men, very few women. Uh, and all the women's names used were only first names. So the Ornithological Society is focusing on an initial group of 70 to 80 species, primarily that inhabit the United States and Canada. They're going to establish a new committee to oversee all the name changes. And they're not changing the bird's scientific names, even though in some cases those are also derived from the original name that the bird was named after. But what they want to do is uh, change it so it makes sense, right? And and so that it, it, it makes biological sense when you're looking at the bird, the name will say something about the bird. Yeah. Right. In one case, they say there's a prairie bird named for Confederate General John P. McCown. And they rejected a proposal to rename it in 2019, but the next year reversed course. And now instead of the McCown prairie bird, it's named the thick-billed longspur. So things like that. They're getting a lot of pushback, as you can imagine, from all this. Uh, Some longtime birders are coming around to the idea uh, long time birder, first time long, long time birder. They say it's an exciting opportunity to give birds names that celebrate them rather than just some person in the past. Very cool. Getting yeah. an update from Lori that it's raining in Redwood City, and Heather oh. says it's sprinkling in San Jose now. It's the rain report. Excellent. That's uh, weather where you live. That's right. This next story is about our favorite generation. You know which generation that is? I'm going to say X. No, that's your, well, I guess that's your personal that's favorite. That's my favorite generation, <laughs> yeah. No, Gen Z, back in the news. Oh. Never really lo- lose the news. Or Sexy Gen Z. Fall out Look of the news. That. Gen Z might moan, but we need to. We need more nudity on TV. Otherwise, violence will become more normal than sex. This is the, the headline here. Even well-established names in Hollywood are reluctant to film steamy scenes. There's a lot of uh, the modern world that turns, uh, this, this, is a, our, uh, this is a column here columnist that turns me off and now it seems like there's even less to turn me on apparently we are now seeing fewer and fewer sex scenes at the cinema and on tv that's right sex on the screen is waning slacking and drooping uh it's gone a bit flaccid i see what they're doing on uh, what on earth is the world coming to campaigner mary whitehouse might have been excited by this worrying trend but i can tell you that this uh old deer is not it's I know it's normally the older generations that complain about sex and nudity. I mean, who can forget the stage farce, no sex, please, were British from 50 years ago, which kept the narrative alive uh, when that Brits were prude. Now it seems like the youngins are the ones that are objecting to it. A recent study by U.S. University, this is a British article, uh, UCLA surveyed 1,500 people aged uh, up to 24, and astonishing, astonishingly, they said that they want to see less sex on screen. <laughs> Instead, what they're after are more stories about platonic relationships, and a lot uh, don't even want romance. They feel that they're not being accurately portrayed and reflected on the big screen, big screen, or big screen, <laughs> depending on how good it is. And there I was thinking that they were sexually liberated and living their best lives. Good old Gen Z. Trust them to want to suck all the fun out of a night at the cinema. Nearly half of them said the romance is overused by the media, and the same number believe sex is not necessarily for the plot. Um, tell that to the makers of Fifty Shades. Of course, uh, this columnist says that she says she hears what they're saying. How many times have you watched a TV um, drama or film and the director has decided to throw in some gratuitous sex scenes for the hell of it? 
Um, some are playing awful and are just, you know, they're there to well, keep don't, us don't make any sense. titillated. But, so, but they're saying that we have too much violence and not enough sex, so we need a balance, like a sex violence balance. Uh, this columnist is saying, like, if you mm-hmm. if you ha- don't have sex in TV, it's just going to lead to more violence being portrayed. Oh, that's, that's, okay. that's, that's the columnist's opinion. But uh, what do you if, think? Uh, if, I, I don't really you... care as long as it's artfully done and interesting. I think I, I, I'm more about like getting rid of the gratuitous, you know, nonsensical scenes. If but if you it's, had if it's to key pick to the plot, whether you wanted to watch a movie with violence or sex, what would you pick? Probably sex. I mean, not just because of the sex, but I, I don't really care about violence. Yeah. I feel like there's way too much. And I feel way that we're much. hypocritical because we censor everything but violence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's always been interesting to me as a parent how people will allow their kids to watch some of these Marvel movies where people are right. getting heads lopped off and arms right. lopped off. I mean, it's it can be pretty violent. Or even Star Wars. Uh, there was a one of the movies, I forget which one, had the uh, annihilation of a whole camp worth of people. Mm. Right? It was like this mass killing at the beginning. And like right. little kids are watching like, this. This is a Disney movie. And yet, if, you know, there's a woman's <laughs> boob on screen, that's right. a problem. Oh, like, oh, we can, no. killing's okay. We'll let the kids yeah, see like the violence, watch TV but not the boob. And if you watch yeah. TV in Europe, like the frontal nudity is like accepted. Oh. And and you, people are desensitized to it because it's natural. Even the, pe- grow even up with the it. penis? They get the penis too? I think so. Mm, okay. I, I didn't do a study. <laughs> but well, I did see. I did see. On that next. I did see boob. I think okay. it's mostly boob. But they're not. They're desensitized to it. Um, you know, and you know they have nude beaches, and nobody really cares because we we create it. We create this. It's all in our head. You know, what they do care about in Europe. This. This is a Banksy picture. Oh, it okay. is painted on the walls of an avan- abandoned Venetian palace. It's called the Migrant Child. And it's a work that Banksy did about the refugee crisis there. So you, what you see is this young migrant child in a life jacket holding up a flare with pink smoke. It's a big tourist attraction in the city. Mm-hmm. It's four years old, this this painting. But it's faded because of humidity and high water and salt. And so officials in the city have announced plans to restore the mural. Mm. But the question is, is that what Banksy intended? With this media, it, painting in this way, maybe the artist's intent is that it will fade over time, or that in some cases it will fade away. Or maybe right? you didn't think about that. Oh. Um, and so uh, some conservationists say the work should be detached from the wall, protected, and exhibited in a safe condition. On the other hand, if I put myself in the artist's shoes, says this advocate, I don't think it's the idea with which his works were born. So critics of this decision think the mural's eventual degradation was part of the artist's vision. Banksy was no fool, they say. He was fully aware that this was his waterside creation and it wasn't meant to endure. So restoring it would go against the grain. Um and and so that's the big question is what did Banksy intend for it to do? So where is this? Did you say it's up against water? Is that water at the bottom? Is that what you're saying? It is. That's water. And this is in uh Venice. Oh it is oh it's Venice, okay. Uh huh. It's at a, an abandoned Venetian palace. Venetian okay. is that's Venice, what makes it right? Venetian. Yeah. It's in mm-hmm. Venice. That makes sense. Yeah. Venezia. So yeah, this this abandoned palace is is there right at the water's edge, and there that's where he put this mural. And so he must have Banksy must have known. 
Get it, Bank Banksy. Mm-hmm. On the banks. Yeah. Yeah. The palace's owner informed the Ita- Italian superintendents of cultural heritage of the mural's worsening condition. The state body usually only intervenes in preserving artworks that are at least 70 years old. This one's only four. Yeah, that's he nothing famously for shredded a painting the moment it sold at auction. That's right, Eric. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, the migrant child is in a highly trafficked area right along the Rio Novo Canal in the heart of the Venice University District. The work is stenciled on the lower part of the palace building, which is usually left unpainted because of splashing waves from passing boats. The water damage on the migrant child reflects the larger challenges that the city of Venice faces as it confronts climate change and over-tourism. They say Venice is at very real risk of being consumed by the sea. And worst-case scenarios, it could disappear beneath waves as early as 2100. Um, Many of the buildings sinking, being damaged by the wakes of boats. Uh, They're overwhelmed by tourists, its local population in a state of continual decline. So this is what uh, it takes for society to care about migrant children. Is a Banksy a Banksy put photo Get it? or yeah, painting? I'm, I'm yeah, uh-huh. called migrant child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Leave it alone. That's my ruling. Leave it. Let it. Let it. Let it degrade. Yeah. Leave it alone. Or yeah. take the plaster off, cut it out, and put it in a museum. That's not what he intended. No, you can make a replica. Or, or maybe send a, an email to Banksy at anonymous.com or whatever. Maybe it lives on in photographs like this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I'd leave it alone. Let's speaking of Italy, let's stay yeah, in Italy for you know a what hot else moment. Is, Could we? Yeah. <laughs> I want to stay. I want to stay for just a minute to take a look at this guy. Uh yeah. Italy's most quote, most handsome man. Yeah, I don't know about that. Quits modeling to become a priest. Eduardo Santini. <laughs> Won the Bello d'Italia in 2019, named Italy's most handsome man. He wanted, uh, he said he wanted to become an actor before he discovered the priesthood. A man once voted the most handsome in Italy has quit his modeling job to join the priesthood. He's 21 years old. Um, he was voted Italy's most beautiful man in 2019. Wait, he was 17 at the time. Yeah, he was That's 17 kind of when he was, it is a little pervy. So he wasn't a man. He wasn't the most handsome man. He was a child. Uh, yeah. When he was 17 in a pageant organized by ABE, a fashion group, but after a lifetime of studying drama and dance to achieve his dream of becoming a star, he said on social media Saturday that he would renounce his career for his for his faith. At 21 years of age, I find myself on the path towards becoming a priest, God willing, Eduardo said, claiming to have joined a seminary near Florence. I've uh, decided to give up uh, modeling work, acting and dance, but I won't abandon all my passions. I'll just live them differently, offering them up to God, he said. Um yeah, pretty this soon is... he'll be in the in the catalog or in the pamphlet for the the church, right? The yeah, hot like hot <laughs> hot priest. Um, speaking to his followers on social media, <laughs> it's like Jesus now. He's got followers. The rising star explained at twenty one, my father took the decision to marry my mother because she was pregnant, and my mom at twenty one became a mother. Me at twenty one, I find myself taking a path to become God willing a priest. In these past years, I've been able to meet people who have shown me what it means uh, to be church. They have given me the strength to investigate the question I've taken with me from childhood, but various fears stopped me from studying it at a deeper level. Last year, I took the the first step. Eduardo said that he went to live with two priests, and it was the best experience of my life. I'm not going to make a joke there. Um, former altar boy over here. Um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> at the end of the year, it was natural for me to ask the bishop to enter the preparatory course. 
uh, the year that precedes a life in the seminary. And here I am studying theology and serving two parishes in the Florentine diocese. Well, good for him. It's what he wants to do. And uh, mm -hmm. he wants to be a little less superficial. I just take issue with the the most handsome man in Italy was 17 years old. 17, that, yeah. First of all, that's technically incorrect. And second of all, it was kind of creepy for them to do that. Kind of yeah. pervy. Don't you think? I do. It's just, uh, but I do find it interesting that he's going from this life of, you know, being an actor and yeah. uh, being a model and then kind of flipping everything upside down and, go, and entering into a, you know, seminary or however. They used to say for women entering a convent, but I don't know what you call it for the priesthood, entering a seminary, entering a... Yeah, seminary. Whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, Eric says, uh, John, at the age of the age of consent in Italy is 14, talking ew. about creepy. Oh, yeah. God, is that true? Yikes. Although if I Google that, it's like, I don't really want to Google that. No, don't you? No. <laughs> you want to Google that one. It's, uh, it's for Eric research. It's for Yikes. research. Uh, uh, yeah, 14. Oh, man. Yeah. That's not cool. With a close I mean, in age exception that allows those 13 to engage <sighs> in activity with those under 18, provided that the gap is less than four years. No. No. No, 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 no. Still, but I mean, you're not a man. So it just, it just seems dumb. So you know? we're late on taking our break on the After Party Live. So let's oh, do right. that. And when we come back, I have a series of pictures that I want to show you guys that have been inspired by the brain. So it's art inspired by what the brain looks Wait, like it's inside. An art. Oh, I, I was going to say, is it all, all mm, art inspired by the brain, but the actual brain? The actual brain, yeah, and what synapses look like and things like that. So we'll get to that next on The After Party Live. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience, and without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute $10, $15, or $20 a month, it would keep this party a rockin'. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated, and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. It is the After Party, and we are thankful for our ongoing contributors, Karen K., Michael A., and Jim S. Thank you for supporting the show. We wouldn't thank be able to be you. here without you guys, so thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, West T. with $5. Mm -hmm. Harry uh, M. with $5. Francine P. with $10. Beth Farmer with $10. Wow. And the Lady Beatrice for a five dollars <laughs> thank you very much you know it's really funny we went to that break and all of a sudden i had to sneeze and then right before we came back it went away perfect timing if it comes yeah. back that's all right um okay so let's show these pictures this is i thought they were so beautiful and so interesting they're seven stunning gold paintings inspired by the brain by i had to cut out Greg one because it wasn't displaying properly so we have six oh, okay of them. We have six. Yeah, six All right. Yeah, They're um, renderings of neurons and surrounding anatomy. Isn't that beautiful? It this looks like um, trees over the lake. It doesn't it look lake. like trees? So this is wispy gold interneurons and astrocyte cells surrounding large cortical neurons in this painting of the brain's inner wow, circuitry. Wow, talk science to me, Kim. That's I will. Uh, this is, is that as I get, do it for you? This yeah. is looking like I would think growth in some type of body of water, but that's what it looks like to this artist anyway, inside our brain. It looks like the evolution was... of trees learning how to like just plant themselves right on the water there. Yeah. 
Look at that one. That's pretty cool, too. This one is ribbon-like shapes made of different purities of gold uh, winding upward, representing the growth of new neurons during the development of the brain. How wow. pretty is that? This one looks like it's kind of underwater. Kind of a jellyfish kind of look with trees. And actually, to me, it looks like something we have coming up uh, that has to do with sea sea flies sea fireflies anyway beautiful the artist dunn leaning on his experience of attending figure drawing classes and designing album covers to build a parallel career to science putting in the extra hours on weekends with his art he eventually started selling prints and securing commissions he's got a phd uh pivoted to making art full time this one is two pyram pyramidal cells known for their triangular shape depicted intertwining in the outer layers of the brain that one looks like an album cover right uh, like that could be the cover of a cd so it, to me it kind of looks like twin branches floating on a pond okay mm, it's interesting or mm. ink blots yeah this one is swirling lines representing tight coils of fat that insulate our neurons and make up the white matter of our brain. This looks like a topographic map of our fat. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like overhead shot. See, I, yeah, it does. I can see your point on that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's pretty. This next one is a golden neuron striking out on its own to form a connection in this work inspired by the developing brain. So there's a golden neuron striking out on its own. Wow, that's very symbolic. Yeah. It kind yeah. of looks like riverbanks, like the edges of a riverbank. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, very cool. Oh, this looks like more trees. This is... Although the, oh. the dark roots of the trees and then the lighter... A cluster of neurons floating in front of empty gold space in this piece. Mm hmm. Very cool. Stains of the cells in the brain's outer layers. It does. It looks like trees. It's they're beautiful. These pictures are amazing. And so I just thought this art was so cool that it was inspired by what the brain looks like inside. I wanted to share that with you. Very cool. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I'm not feigning interest. Show and tell. Yeah. Uh, this next story uh, what is kind of related, um, yeah. since we were talking about cells. Could getting rid of old cells help people live disease-free for longer? Researchers are investigating medicines that selectively kill decrepit cells to promote healthy aging. Um, James Kirkland started his career in 1982 as a geriatrician treating aging patients, but he found himself dissatisfied with what he could offer them. I got tired of prescribing wheelchairs, walkers, incontinence devices, He's now at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. He knew that aging is considered the biggest risk of, of all for chronic illness, but he was frustrated by his inability to do anything about it. So he went back to school to learn the skills that he needed to tackle aging head on, earning a PhD in biochemistry at the University of Toronto. Today, he and his colleague, a molecular biologist at the Mayo Institute or Mayo Clinic, are leaders in a growing movement to halt chronic disease by protecting brains and bodies from the biological fallout of aging. If these researchers are successful, they'll have no st shortage of customers. People are living longer, and the number of Americans aged 65 and older is expected to double, and they're going back to work, right, yeah. to 80 million between the year 2000 and 2040, while researchers like Kirkland uh, don't expect to extend lifespan. I, I love all those products at Costco. Very good. 
Um, they hope to lengthen the health span, the time that a person lives free of disease. One of their main targets is decrepit cells, as we said, that build up in tissues as people age. I feel like I have some of that build up. These, so how do you uh, get rid of the old cells without getting rid of all the good stuff? And can you do that? That's the question. These mm. cells have reached a point due to damage, stress, or time when they stop dividing, but they don't die. While the cells typically make up only a small fraction of the overall cell population, they accounted for up to 36% of cells in some organs in aging mice, according to one study. And they don't just sit there quietly. These cells can release a slew of compounds that create a toxic, inflamed environment that primes tissues for chronic illness. Uh, sounds like coworkers. Uh, these uh, cells have been linked to diabetes, stroke, osteoporosis, and several other conditions. Um, yeah, so uh, what they're doing is they're they're creating something called SenNet that, that aims to identify and map out what they're calling senescent cells in the human body as well as in mice over their natural lifespan. And the National Institute on Aging has put up more than $3 million over four years for this translational geroscience network uh, led by Kirkland that is in preliminary trials of potential potential anti-aging treatments, drugs that could kill the senescent cells called mm. senolytics, which are among the top candidates. Small-scale trials of these are already underway in people with conditions such as Alzheimer's, osteoarthritis, and kidney disease. It's an emerging and incredibly exciting uh, field and maybe even game-changing area of study, um, according to these experts. Um, but... Uh, uh, another medical researcher not part of the study says that he and others sound a note of caution as well. And some scientists think the field's potential has been overblown, saying there's a lot of hype. I do have, I do, I would say a very healthy skepticism. He warns his patients of the many unknowns and tells them that trying synolytic supplementation on their own could be dangerous. So this is a new mm. cutting edge uh, thing that may turn out to be uh, beneficial. Well, Lori says this has been touted for years, uh, selling supplements in some cases for life extension that are supposed to get rid of these uh, senescent cells entirely. Yeah. So I and guess most it's of, been something. Most of those are being advertised on AM radio. Um, <laughs> if you could click, click the like button uh, while we have you here. Click the like yeah, button. And if you please. haven't subscribed, please subscribe as well. We'd appreciate it. I want to talk to you about the, and we talked the other day about Drug testing? This, no, Star Trek, uh, the sick bay, right? Where they just scan you yeah, and they yeah. have all new ways of doing things. Well, the, the way in which we detect cancer might be changing. So right now, if there's a mass, sometimes it's, it's a very invasive uh, detection process where they may have to biopsy something, mm -hmm. right? Or go in and then send it to the pathology lab to see what it's about. Right. Well, we're getting to the point where you might just be able to spit in a cup and they test it and they find out, oh, yeah, this person has, you know, has cancer or this is uh, malignant or whatever it is. Oh, wow. Kind of interesting. Uh, the It's already being used to detect uh, different types of cancer. According to the PubMed database, the appeal of this approach is pretty good because then you don't have to go through the biopsies and go through the long needles being, you know, inserted or the scalpels or whatever other tools. Right, they call it liquid biopsy. It looks for traces of tumor components in fluids like blood, urine, cerebrospinal fluid, semen, or saliva because it's less Wait, invasive you have your than... No. no, different ones for different types of cancer. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. No, the simplest, though, is to collect the spit 
And that has already paid off. The uh, FDA has given an innovative device designation to a saliva-based oral and throat cancer pre-diagnostic tool developed by a company based in the U.S. called Viome. These types of designations are granted to medical devices that have the potential to provide more effective treatment or diagnosis of life-threatening diseases. The saliva is collected. Um, they, they used to think saliva was like the stepchild of blood, that blood was the more important bodily fluid. But now uh, this scientist is saying mm, the view of saliva as an afterthought could really change in the coming years because of techniques now being able to analyze it can be providing a better understanding of what information it can hold. And so, uh, and it's also copious, right? Every day we produce a lot of spit, 500 to 1500 meters of saliva, depending on who yeah, we are. Yeah, we've been wasting most of it. We have been wasting it. So, uh, and now they can, uh, right now, they're looking to find different ways of uh, analyzing this that they can find DNA shed from cancer cells when a tumor is present in the body. So, wow. There's a saliva-based biopsy in the works for non-small cell lung cancer. That's one of the way one of the things that they're doing. That uh, they think right now that they may be able to sweep for up to 50 types of cancer in early stages at once. There's different type of properties in your saliva that can highlight that something's going on with you. Well, I learned so much um, yeah. coming to the After Party Live. There you go. And uh, some more news. This is kind of interesting. Uh, you know when you have a, a droid, Android uh, uh, phone? Right. Uh, like you used to. If I sent you a text message, it shows up, or your text messages show up green on my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And if somebody has an iPhone, they show blue, right? Uh, well, a 16-year-old has outsmarted Apple with an app connecting iMessage, which are the blue messages, you know, blue bubbles on iPhones, to Android, the green bubbles. A 16-year-old developer has claimed to reverse engineer Apple's iMessage. His work has become the foundation of a new Android app called Beeper Mini. An all-in-one messaging startup, Beeper, introduced a new Android app on Tuesday called Beeper Mini, which the company claims does an industry first. It directly sends iMessages from Android phones without using external Apple devices. The move follows smartphone manufacturer Nothing uh, attempt last month uh, to bring iMessage to Android through an exclusive app that routed texts through a server farm filled with Macs. The app ended up shutting down in less than a week due to privacy concerns. The Beeper mini app scans all of the users' text messages, figures out which ones are from iMessage users uh, with Apple phones, and converts the green bubble conversations with those users into blue bubbles like the, mm -hmm. that tap into Apple's platform. I know there's a lot of... Um, green bubble shaming you know especially among the kids teenagers mm -hmm. it's like one of the reasons they they, they want apple. the iphone because yeah. they don't want to be like outed as being Stand a, out. a, a droid user yeah um yeah so anyway i just wanted to uh give us that little update since we're running late on time we don't have a lot time. of time left but because i mentioned it's it i time. wanted to do this story about sea fireflies and their mating dance. And there's video of this from the Monterey Bay Aquarium. It's a mucus-filled synchronized mating dance of bioluminescent sea fireflies. And it's really pretty. You can we do we have is the video we have a no, 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 no. no, you put that in late, late at night, right? Mm. 
Well, we have these bioluminescent ostracods or sea fireflies. Mm -hmm. When they mate, they perform a courtship dance complete with glowing blue mucus. The males sway together in sync while basking in the light of the shiny slime. The mating ritual is detailed for the first time in the journal proceedings of the Royal Society B. Uh, oh, this is published oh, oh, oh. in yeah, published in November. But it's kind of cool, and I, I, what they were surprised by is how well coordinated the dance is. They didn't realize that this is what it would look like. So let me see if I can't uh, show it to you and make it bigger. Here's what it looks like. That's what she said. Oh, <laughs> you see that on there? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of dark, but it's kind of cool. Can you hear me right now? Yeah. Playing over the video. Okay. So yeah, it's um it goes on and on. But they're again surprised by how well coordinated and how in sync all of these creatures are. But it just kind of I don't know. It's pretty has dark. This yeah. mystery to it. Yeah, it is pretty dark. But in some cases, like you see them pop back up here and there. It's pretty. I I did not know there was a thing set a such a thing as sea fireflies. There they are. Yep. There they are. The mating. It's the mating dance of the sea firefly. Anyway, I thought that was, I thought that was an interesting story and kind of a beautiful story. There they are. Zuzu's petals. Sorry. Um, you know who's always popping back up? Who? Amy Robach and TJ Holmes. Their oh, exes, Andrew Shu and Marilee Feibig, or Feibig, are dating after bonding over a traumatic cheating experience. Mm. Uh, this is a happy ending that we didn't see coming. The ex-spouses of scandalous news couple TJ Holmes and Amy Robach have gotten closer, according to page six. Uh, they're dating. According to multiple sources, we're told that the couple have been dating for about six months after bonding over the traumatic experience of being cheated on. That'll do it. It turned into something else, and they've connected over their values. It's bigger than the affair now, one source said. We're told that the hurt is over and the duo has moved on. They're not hope, heartbroken and sad. Uh, everyone has moved on and they did not uh, issue a comment. This is um, it's just kind of like um, going full Shania Twain. You know about her situation, right? No. Her husband cheated on her with her best friend. Oh. So they divorced and then mm -hmm. she got married to her best friend's ex-husband after they divorced. See, I don't so they, think that's... They swapped... I don't think it's partners. that odd. I think when you've gone through the same experience that you gravitate toward that other person who was also right. wronged in some way. Michael says tragic cheating is the best kind of cheating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, anyway, good news. It's for interesting, them. though. Yeah. Do we have time for Kelsey Grammer or is that something negative to end on? Uh, no, it's fine. Uh, we have yeah, five minutes left. We'll talk about Kelsey. Yeah. Kelsey was giving an, a BBC interview and his because he has a new he has short. a new there's a new Fraser on, yeah. on Paramount Plus. So during this BBC interview, he voices his support for Donald Trump, and his reps cut off the interview. There go, <laughs> they're out. Yeah, oh, uh, the Paramount yeah, Plus representatives said once he started talking Trump, that was all they needed. They're like, "Yep, yeah, interview over. That's it. Mm -mm, nope." At the end of the interview, the host asked Grammer that 
because he had mentioned Roseanne early in the interview who had a comeback, but was also a Trump supporter. And the host said, you were, at least you were a Trump supporter. I'm fascinated to know if you still are. And Grammer said, I am, and I'll let that be the end of it. But that wasn't actually, though. Speaking to the co-host, the other host revealed that Grammer was down to discuss politics, but that the Paramount Plus reps involved weren't so keen on that. He said Kelsey Grammer himself was perfectly happy to go on talking about it, but the Paramount PR people were less happy that he talked about it at any length at all. Um, and then they laughed about mentioning the whole thing on the air. So, Have you seen his uh, reboot? Of I haven't. Patreon? Do you like it? It's like comfort food. It's like it's basically the show reincarnated. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the actors from the original didn't want to continue their roles. Like David Hyde Pierce said he was done being Miles, Niles, Niles. Uh, he just didn't feel like there was any point to continuing. Like they had done it all right, basically. And so what they did was they kind of replaced each character with a similar character with like the kind of personality. Right. So like Niles is replaced by his um, his nephew or his son, his son, oh, who's okay. like neurotic. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like and if, so for every character that was missing, they replaced like the snarky, you know, Roz. They re- kind of replaced with right. this like boss. So it, to keep, it, it, keep with the formula. Right. Yeah. But if you watch yeah. it, it's like cheesy. So oh. I wouldn't call it great. I wouldn't even call it good. I would call it like, OK, I would call it like a C. Like it, they're just like continuing it on. It's kind of like a cash mm-hmm. grab. And I think because of the Rose, uh, the Roseanne reboot, yeah. uh, he, he, they decided Paramount said, oh, okay, we're going to reboot and do this. And it'll sometimes make money. it feels like you just can't recreate the magic. I, I've mentioned this yeah. before. They tried to bring back Gilmore girls, right. And do like this recreation mm. of the Gilmore girls. And right. it just wasn't the same. It didn't feel the same. It didn't have that same magic that the show yeah. had. So well, it's yeah. weird to see, cause the character that he portrays, you know, it's like an intellectual professor type uh, psychologist who you're pretty sure would be a liberal. So it's mm-hmm. really weird to know that he's conservative, right? And not only, yeah. there's nothing wrong with being conservative, it's that he's a Trump supporter. Yeah. It's like, really? You seem like a, such a smart guy. Um, but speaking of grabbing cash, grabbing more and more cash, Netflix and Apple have opened the door to bundling uh, with their streaming rivals. A Verizon-backed Netflix and Max deal and talks between Apple and Paramount suggests that streaming bundles may be about to get bigger and better. After years of mostly sitting on the sidelines, two streaming companies that have long been reluctant to bundle their wares with competitors' services, have they now seem a bit more open to it. On Monday, telecom giant Verizon announced a $10 per month deal that includes the ad tiers of both Netflix and HBO Max, which is called Max now. That's 40%. That's a 40% discount compared to their standard prices. And it's notable because while Max has offered discounted pricing, Max offered its ad tier for $3 per month for Black Friday. Netflix has notably not offered any discounts or wholesale wholesale prices uh, on its plans for many years. To be certain, it is not clear whether Netflix is offering a wholesale price to Verizon or how the discount cost is being shared among these three companies. But the 40% discount suggests that either Verizon, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Netflix, or some combination thereof is helping to subsidize these costs. So this seems like this is going to be the new thing because... As we've all experienced, once you get like two or three of these services, you're not really saving any money. No, I just cut HBO Max. We looked at it and we we know that the PG&E rates are rising 13.8%. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. It's time to cut back. 
Well, if we look at what we were paying just for HBO Max, and yeah. I think I only got it because Nikki wanted me to watch some show, and I've watched the show, and it's you know, pressure. that's it. And maybe I'll re up when you know they come out with a second season. It was The Last of Us. I think that's why I got that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Um, but it's at like one hundred and thirty-eight dollars a year. We were paying for this service. I don't need that. Cut. It's gone. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned PG and E, every time I see one of these inane commercials on TV, I think, what if you stopped spending money on TV ads to try to convince us that you're not a horrible company and just <laughs> lowered our back rates? Into your, right? Lowered our rates, right? We would that would go a lot further. And the thing that us. really annoys me is all those commercials are mm -hmm. like, and we're undergrounding and spending the the money because yeah. it's well worth it in the long run. That's not what you said ten years ago. You said it was, it was too, too expensive. expensive. You're uh -huh. liars. You're just reacting to getting sued, right? Don't get me started on PG. And who's paying for the lawsuits? We are. So every time I see those inane commercials, they're like, we're a wonderful company. And if you watch the TV commercial, you'll believe that like every line a person is a woman. So it's all like, it's like an all, I didn't know that PG&E is 100% staffed by women. It's like a total PR, BS PR uh, campaign. Anyway, it just annoys me. All right, because well, let's of, end Let's end on something positive because okay. we have this. Um, there's a new hockey team coming to Lake Tahoe. Do oh. you know about this? No. This is a team owned by Heisman winner Team Tebow. And they're now unveiling the name for Lake Tahoe's new minor league hockey team. It is the Tahoe Night monsters but it's it's k-n-i-g-h-t like you know jousting oh, okay. with a knight yeah, it's yeah the yeah, tahoe yeah. night monsters the colors are rather shark-esque a teal oh. a gold and a black like, like a ripoff kind of maybe the logo is a dragon-like creature that resides and rules lake tahoe according to the news release written by the team. Like a this Nessie? This is sounding kind of lame. I'm just going to say, whoever well, it is, is what, what producing tier did you this, say this thing. Was? What now? What tier is it? You said it, it's... What, it's a minor league, league minor hockey league, team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. The team said the name was inspired by local input and nominations from more than a thousand fans. It stems from the folkloric Tahoe Tessie, a similarly mysterious fictional creature to the Loch Ness Monster. That's already been done. The Night Monster, K-N-I-G-H-T, is unique and iconic, blending the mystique and the honor of a knight with the ferocity of a lake monster, creating a distinct visual identity for the team. This Night Monster is majestic and fierce with a towering present. The Night Monster is a protector and fights for those who can't Fight well, themselves. we should have them present before the lady, Lady Beatrice, and see the what night she thinks. The monster, and see what yes. she has to say. Yeah. Uh, and Source points out we have 114 thumbs up, 120 watching now. So oh, if you haven't hit the thumbs yeah. up, please hit the thumbs up. The team is going to be in the East Coast Hockey League. Interestingly, what? the mid-level league, two steps below the sense. National Hockey League, uh, begins to play in 2024, 2025, using the new. Uh, Trump 4200 seat arena at state line nevada it's called the tahoe blue event center it's adjacent to four large casinos along tahoe's south shore so that is where they will play at the tahoe blue event center well if it's the, the east coast league then we have to say nevada because that's nevada. what they say on the east coast it's the tahoe night monsters mm -hmm. that's dumb <laughs> sorry I think that's dumb thumbs what down do no. no thank you yeah
Anyway, well, it's about that time. It's the end of the show already on a Wednesday. I know, on a rainy, rainy Wednesday. And you're taking the full reins of the Mark Thompson show tomorrow. Going forward, starting tomorrow for for the rest of the year, right? Shows, fifteen shows. Yeah. I hope you get a. I hope you get a bonus. I, you know, we'll see what happens. I won't hold my breath. So does that mean you're not going to produce this show at all anymore? That's not true. No. Uh, super sticker from Wes for $5. Thank you, Wes. Harry for 5 Time to get the party started. Uh, Francine for a $10 super sticker. Thank you. And Beth, thank you. Lady Beatrice, we thank you as well. And thank you for being here, spending this rainy afternoon with us. We'll and be to back Karen tomorrow. K and Michael A. and yep. Jim S. Thank you so much. And to Kim McAllister, who's going to run off and take over the Mark Thompson show. Mm, Sayonara, yeah. suckers. Bye, you guys. Uh, have a we'll great afternoon. Bye-bye. <laughs>